How was everybody? Talking about baptism today, I think most people got baptized on their way in this morning, so we've already taken care of that, so uh, we're good. No, no. Uh, so <laughs> we'll get into that theology here in a second. Uh, glad you guys are here. Did everyone get to make it out to the square Friday night for the worship night? Did everyone get to go out to that? That was good. If you weren't there, uh, boy, you missed it. That had to be our biggest worship night. They think somewhere in the neighborhood of about 6,000 people there. That whole block was just, there was a police officer that was, uh, we had snipers on the roof. I don't know if anyone knew that or not, but uh, hey, it's post the event, so it's okay to talk about. But uh, there was a police officer up on a roof, and he had taken um, footage of that. And you see just from front to back, side to side, it was just packed and um, really, really cool. And listen, that's not a boast on our church. That's not what that event is about. But guys, there is something extremely unique and special that a city would shut down its city center and that the mayor would get up in front of 6,000 people in the community and pray and they would shut down the whole square for worshiping Jesus. That's a pretty big deal, guys. That's pretty neat, right? Really, really neat. Um, something else really cool that I wanted to tell you, uh, on top of, uh, of all the baptisms and the great worship night, and um, that was really great. This is a, I say small thing, it's not a small thing, it's actually a huge thing, but there's a lot of really good stuff that kind of goes onto the radar, and uh, something I just wanted to, I wanted to brag on a young lady at our church, and I'm not going to say her by name because I don't want to embarrass her, but there's a lot of people who take a lot of shots at young people nowadays. You know, this generation is so selfish, and they're so narcissistic, and they're this and that, and we only say negative things about teenagers and 20-somethings in this generation. There is a, a young lady at our church. She's 17 or 18. I don't know exactly. She just graduated high school. She's about to go to MTSU. Works her butt off at Chick-fil-A, you know, because that's what good Christians do. And uh, <laughs> she, she works hard at Chick-fil-A and uh, just a great young woman. And last week, she had heard uh, that there was another young lady who, who volunteers a lot here at the church and is a really, really great young woman who couldn't afford to buy a car, and it's kind of, you know, prevented her from doing the things that she wants to do. And, and uh, so this 17, 18-year-old, just recent high school graduate, saved up and had gotten another car. And so instead of selling her old car and pocketing the money or doing something foolish with it, she took the title and just signed it over to this other young lady at the church and said, here, I knew you needed a car. Here's a car. And um, guys, that's pretty neat. And that's, uh, it's little things like that. And again, that's not a little thing. It's, it's quite a big thing. But just those acts of, of not just talking about how good Jesus is, but displaying the kindness and love of God for people who need help. And um, that's pretty amazing. So I'm really, really proud of her. And uh, I made her give me a hug the other day. And, and um, she's like, I, I'm all gross because I've been working at Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, no, no, that's holy oil, right? So <laughs> yeah, give, me a, give me a hug. So uh, anyways. So today we are talking about baptism. Now, there are some of you in this room that have heard this lesson like 15 times, and you're like, here we go again, right? Yes, here we go again. This is an extremely important lesson. I still love teaching this lesson. There are so many things in this lesson that are vitally important to us. And even if you've heard it multiple times, or maybe you've never heard this before, um, it's an extremely important thing in the life of a Christian is our baptism. Now, here's what my objective is today. Here's what my hope is. My hope is one, to inform you about baptism. 
I would say most people in this room, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, have somewhat of a rudimentary idea of what baptism is. Well, it's when those Christians like get dunked in water or water is poured over their head or they're sprinkled or whatever. They, that's this thing with water that Christians do. So my first hope is to show you what the biblical context and biblical idea of baptism is. It's my first objective. My second objective is this is that hopefully by the end of this lesson, if you were either baptized at a time in your life when it wasn't your choice, maybe as an infant or as a young child, or if you have never been baptized, I hope that I will have shown you significant evidence to persuade you to get baptized today. We have clothes for you to get changed into. The water is fresh and warm, and we have towels over here, and we will give you information, and we will take your information to... See, God's amen in me, right? So all these things. Um, we have all these things set up for you, and it's very, very convenient. So my hope is by the end of this lesson, if you have not taken this step in your faith and in your walk with Christ, that you will, okay? All right, so I'm gonna pray. You should have a notes handout in front of you. Everyone should have gotten one of those. If you have the app, the Experience Community app, if you click on service times and sermon notes, everything is there, very, very convenient. And we're going to hop around today throughout the Bible, which is not my normal uh, MO, but I'm going to show you different pieces of evidence from the Word talking about baptism, okay? So let me pray, and we'll jump into this. Lord Jesus, God, we love you, and we thank you. I pray, Lord, that today, God, um, as we talk about baptism, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that, that needs to take this step, Lord, I pray that you convict them, and I pray that you encourage them and, and strengthen them, God. Lord, uh, we pray and we thank you, God, so much for our community. We thank you, God, for the businesses on the square, Lord, and we thank you for our wonderful mayor, God, that is supportive of what we're doing, and we're thankful, Lord, that, that our city would allow us to do what we did Friday night. Thank you for all the people who've been baptized, God. Thank you for all the churches in our community. Thank you for the nonprofits in our community. And Lord, we pray that we are blessed today as we get into your word, God, and that you touch our hearts and that you touch our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if you don't know anything about baptism, baptism is not overtly complicated. Baptism is basically our symbolic and public display that we have become followers of Jesus Christ. This is where the Bible says we take on the new man or the new woman. It's also where the Bible says we are brought to life. Now, the way I think about baptism is the wedding ring analogy. This is not my marriage, this. This is not my marriage. This is symbolic, though, of the fact that I am taken. So baptism is much the same. Baptism is not your salvation. Baptism is a response to being saved. And when we are baptized, we are saying to the world around us, I'm taken, right? I belong to Jesus Christ. That's what this represents. So baptism identifies us as followers of Jesus. It's probably the most evident part of our, of our walk with Christ that says to others that we're in the family of God. It should also be a big deal. This is a big deal, not because the water is magical, but because you're being obedient to Jesus Christ and God honors that. So there's a turning point with baptism. When we give our life to Christ, there's a turning point. When we're baptized, there's a turning point. The more steps we take as we evolve closer and closer to Jesus, the more that we kind of turn this corner and look more and more like Jesus. And baptism is a big part of that step. 
Now, if you got baptized Friday night, I often bring up Colossians chapter 2 when it talks about baptism because it's very, very encouraging. It's referring to baptism, and it says, having been buried with him in baptism, you are also raised with Christ through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So you are gone down into the waters, the old you is dead, and this new you comes out of the water, and that's because of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, the resurrected Jesus Christ from the grave. So a couple of pieces of evidence, that's what I'm gonna do today, is just show you evidence from the Bible on why you should consider baptism. The first one is this, is that Jesus Christ set the example. Now, when Jesus Christ came onto the scene, I don't know if you know this or not, the entire Old Testament, let me see here, that's the entire Old Testament, the entire Old Testament is essentially an arrow that points towards Jesus Christ. It points towards the fact that one day God is going to send a Messiah and he's gonna shake things up. Now, this literally happens, right? And we see Jesus come onto the scene and he comes and he is going to introduce a new way by which we are reconciled to God, a new way that has never been done before. And so what's gonna happen when Jesus comes onto the scene in the gospels, in the Bible, is he is gonna take the old way where they had to kill an animal and they had to separate certain parts and burn certain parts and pour blood over the altar and all these different things in the book of Leviticus, he's gonna take that and replace it with a much more simple way of being reconciled with God. Now, here's the other thing, the spiritual side of this. In the Old Testament, when they did all these sacrifices, that did not alleviate their sin. It just pushed it forward until the next year. So when it says in the Bible that Jesus took all the sins of the past and the present, all the sins of mankind had been compounding over and over and over again for centuries until Jesus Christ died on the cross. So instead of just kind of using like a spiritual credit card to roll that debt forward, Jesus came, died for our sins, and erased that debt. It has been completely taken care of. Now this, this, this kind of snowball started rolling. When Jesus Christ comes onto the scene, John the Baptist, who had been kind of preparing the way for Jesus, he was kind of the last great prophet of the Bible, Jesus walks up one day and John the Baptist is baptizing all these people. That's all John the Baptist pretty much did. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 people, they think that John the Baptist baptized. So he's doing this day in, day out, right? Jesus walks up one day, approaches John the Baptist, and he says, I need you to baptize me. Now you can imagine John's reply, right? He's like, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. I don't need to baptize you. Like, I can't even touch your feet. Like, you're God in the flesh. And Jesus explained to John, he said, no, 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 there's a new way we're going to do things. And this is what he says. He says, it should be done for this is how we carry out what God requires of us. So after explaining that to John, John says, okay, I'll baptize you. He was obedient. So he baptizes Jesus in the Jordan River Jesus comes up out of the water. It says the sky opens up, the Holy Spirit comes down and rests on Jesus, and we hear the voice of God say, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So we see this is what God wanted, and Jesus sets the example. Now here's the thing, Jesus had nothing to repent for. He had no reason to get baptized. He hadn't done anything wrong. So why did he do it? 
He did it because Jesus will not ask us to do anything that he hasn't already done first. He sets the example. And so we see that. And because we're followers of Jesus, we follow in his footsteps, baptism, right? Another thing that we, a, a piece of evidence about baptism is when we are obedient to God through baptism, there is an activation that takes place in our faith. So a relationship with God is a process. And as we move through this process, as we're constantly evolving to be more like Jesus, that, that the fancy Christian word for that is sanctification. That the longer we have a relationship with Jesus, the more we act like Jesus and talk like Jesus and think like Jesus. And we're set apart to do God's work. And during that process, different decisions we make activate promises that the Bible has for us. One of those is in the very beginning of the book of Acts, which I know you guys are all scholars in, right? Because you've been listening intently from the book of Acts since we've been teaching it, right? It's passive aggressive. So when we genuinely repent and when we choose to be baptized as a profession of our faith, the Holy Spirit is empowering us to live in a way that pleases God. Now, let me show you where that is in the scripture. If you have not been with us in the book of Acts, the church is born in Acts chapter 2. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. Jesus dies, right? He's resurrected. And 50 days after that, the day of Pentecost, that's when the church is birthed. Now, if you don't know the story, there's a bunch of men and women, about 120 of them, who are up in a room. The Holy Spirit fills the room. They start to speak in tongues and different languages that they're not supposed to, that they're not supposed to be able to speak. They go down onto the street. They're speaking all these languages and the people are passing by going, whoa, the Christians are drunk or something and it's only 9 a.m., right? Like, what is going on here? And Peter <clears throat> gets in front of the crowd and he says, they're not drunk. Our prophets, especially the prophet Joel, talked about that one day God would pour out his Holy Spirit. That's what's happening right here. And so Peter explained to them what the message was from that day. And this is what the message was. Peter said, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is a promise for you, for your kids, for all the people who haven't heard this message, for as many as the Lord our God will call. And he said, with many other words, he testified and he urged them to be saved from this corrupt generation. So this is very pivotal. This is very important. So those that accepted the message, the salvation message, the gospel message, those that accepted the message of Christ were baptized. That was their response. And that day, about 3,000 people were baptized. So here's the thing. What happens is when we combine repentance, which means we ask God to forgive us of our sins, and when we add baptism to that, God honors that obedience and something is activated in us. Like when you put vinegar and baking soda together, right? When you put those two things together, there is an activation, something happens. That's what happens in our soul. Now, in Christianity, we do two things with the Holy Spirit. We're either terrified of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so we never talk about it, right? We don't wanna talk about that. Or we get crazy, right? We go to these two extremes. 
Now, we're not supposed to neglect the Holy Spirit, nor is the Holy Spirit going to lead us into chaos and disorder. Neither one of those. But what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, Paul says, I want you to be knowledgeable about the Holy Spirit. I don't want you to be ignorant to these things. So God has given us not only the Holy Spirit, but the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not so we can act like a bunch of lunatics or brag about how spiritual we are, but so we can lift each other up and our relationship with God can get stronger. So don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Be knowledgeable about the Holy Spirit. Go into your Bible. This is how we become knowledgeable of the Holy Spirit. We get into the Word of God and we read about it. I encourage all of you, read 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14. It'll take you 10 minutes and it will give you invaluable information about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, okay? Another piece of evidence is Jesus instructs us to be baptized very, very clearly. Sometimes, guys, it is just about obedience. You guys ever met those people who just want to do like word studies with you all the time? Well, what does that Greek word mean, right? And they break it down. They don't know the context. You know, I was thinking about this morning in the shower, which I know you guys didn't want to hear that, but this morning I was in the shower and I was thinking about how when people want to break down one singular word in a passage, that doesn't always work. I'm not saying that word studies are not valuable, but if you just try to break down one word and you don't look at the context, if you don't look at the time that it was written and the audience that it was written to, that's like if 2,000 years from now, if you and I are having a conversation and you say, hey, Corey, can I drive your old car? And I said, yeah, that's cool. And so if someone just did a word study on the word cool, well, Corey's car was like an ice cube? That doesn't, what? See, that word study doesn't make sense because you've taken it out of context. You haven't put it in the context of how we speak in our day and age. Cool doesn't always literally mean like an ice cube. It can also mean that's okay or that's good, right? And so we can't just do a word study. Sometimes, though, we can do the word studies. We can, we can exegetically break down the Bible. If you don't know what that means, that's okay. But we can break all this down, and it'll say something, and it boils down to us being obedient. Now, listen, here's the thing. I can't explain to you all the reasons why God finds baptism important. I can't break all that down to you. But I can tell you beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ told us to baptize people. Now, I have broken this passage down, both exegetically, which means breaking it down by meaning, that means to draw meaning out, and I've broken it down word by word. And when you break this passage down in the Greek, you know what it says? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And I am with you always till the end of time. You know, it's funny, whenever people say, well, I don't know if the Bible really says that. You know, this Bible wasn't translated by a bunch of teenagers in their parents' basement, right? You guys know that, right? It was theologians and men and women with PhDs and, and who are extremely educated, who have taken the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the Bible, and they've broken it down and they've translated it. It's not a bunch of idiots that do that. And if you talk to people who have studied the Bible intensively, for any translation snobs in the room, all of the translations boil down to the exact same meaning. There's nothing lost in all of those translations. So when Jesus said, go baptize, do you know what he meant? Go baptize people. That's exactly what Jesus meant. And another piece of text that is very, very clear 
is whenever people say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't do everything the Bible says. Jesus said, if you loved me, you'd keep my commands. You would do what I tell you to do. And Jesus told the church that we are to baptize people, okay? I belabored that point for a long time there. Sorry about that, guys. Another piece of evidence that we get about baptism is baptism is symbolic, and the symbolism is about resurrection. Not just Jesus' resurrection, our resurrection. So probably the most beautiful part about Christian baptism is it is symbolic of us getting a fresh start. So baptism, there's a lot of symbolism in this. When we go down into the water, it's like we're being buried. And then when we come up out of the water, it is like we are resurrecting from the grave. Now that doesn't mean that you're gonna be perfect. It doesn't mean that all your problems are going to be gone. But what it means is the old you is dead and now there is a new you. And the new you is no longer chained or bound or in slavery to sin, to your sinful nature. This is what Paul said to the church in Rome. He said, are you unaware that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, if we are buried with him in baptism into death in order that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we walk in a new way of life. Is it perfect? No. We're working towards perfection, and when Jesus comes back, he's going to make us perfect. But even if we're not perfect, we walk a different way. We walk in a new way of life. It also says, if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we're joined with him in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self is crucified and sin's dominion over the body is abolished. No longer are we slaves to our sinful nature. No longer are we slaves to the things that we were of the past. We are new. Okay, so if you get baptized today, when we baptize you, we, we do our best to pray the name of Jesus over you. Now, let me talk about that for a second. I came, my wife and I came from a denomination that was very legalistic when it came to baptism. What I mean is this. They would say that if you were not baptized and if someone didn't say the exact right words over you when you're baptized, that your baptism is null and void. It doesn't mean anything. Now, that's bad theology. The reason why that's bad theology is Romans chapter 8 clearly says that no one can take you from the Father's hand. No one can thwart your salvation. Your salvation is between you and God. So baptism is not a magical formula. What, what, what's important with baptism Less than the person speaking the words is the genuineness of your heart when you get into that water. But after saying that, I also want to say this. Saying the name of Jesus over you is vitally important. That is the one name under heaven and earth that can save your soul. Not only that, that is the name that you will be identifying with. You are identifying yourselves through baptism to the name of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a passage that I have also broken down into the most simple elements. It's a very, very important passage. Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. He says this, all of you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For if you have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ like a garment. And he says your identity is not being a Jew or a Greek, a slave or a free person, a male or a female. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. Jesus. 
Now, if you've heard me teach on baptism before, I always say this. Our problem right now in America is not transgenderism or homosexuality or narcissism. Our problem is not materialism or greed or premarital sex. That's not our problem. Those are symptoms of the problem. The problem is, is we don't know where our identity lies. If we knew that our identity was in Jesus Christ, those symptoms would work themselves out. But our problem is we have found our identity in sex. We have found our identity in gender and skin color. We have found our identity in how much money we make. And Paul says that is not where your identity comes from. Your identity comes from Jesus Christ. So we pray Jesus's name over you because that is where your identity should be found, okay? So the million dollar question, do you have to do it, right? This splits up denominations. It makes people argue and fight. Well, you have to do it. No, you don't have to do it. You're saved before you do it. You're saved after you do it. There's all this argue and debate. Do I have to get baptized? So here's the thing. If you're in this room and you're a Christian, everything we get about our theology comes from this book. This book. This is the Word of God. So if we're going to talk about something like baptism, the only place we need to go about something like that is this book. We need to go back to the Word of God. Now, there are absolutes in the Bible, and there are relatives in the Bible. Relatives are things that are relative to one group of people. Absolutes are something that are true for all people for all time, okay? Now, when you go through the New Testament, there is always the same response when one becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, and there's three components of that response. The first component whenever we read about someone converting to being a Christian in the New Testament, is they ask for forgiveness of sins. Not just ask for forgiveness of sins. They have a desire to change their life. So whenever you have a true encounter with Jesus, Jesus never leaves you the same as he found you. That's the whole point. Jesus fixes us. He changes us. He makes us better, right? And so all throughout the New Testament, when people get to know Jesus, they ask for forgiveness of sins and they turn their, their trajectory and they walk a different way, okay? It's the first response. I'm gonna go out of order. The next response, which should actually be the third response, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait, save the best for last here. The next response is they have saving faith in Jesus. Now, whenever I talk to people and they say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, it says in the book of James that the devils in hell also believe in Jesus. It is not enough for you to know that there is a Jesus Christ. It's not even enough for you to know that Jesus Christ is the Savior. You must live in such a manner that honors that belief. You must follow him. You must have a relationship with him. That is the difference between faith and saving faith. Saving faith is having a relationship with Christ that is praying to Jesus, that is reading the word of God, that is complete surrender to him. And then the third response we always see by people when they become a Christian in the Holy Bible is they're baptized. Starting in Acts chapter two and going all the way throughout the New Testament, whenever people convert, they're baptized. So here's the thing, do you have to do it to be saved? Nowhere in the Bible does it say if you don't get baptized, you're gonna burn in hell for eternity. It does not say that. But if we look at how Christians respond all throughout the Bible, one of their responses was always baptism. 
Here's the other thing about it. If you have never heard the story of the cross, if this is maybe the first time you have ever heard that the Son of God left his throne in heaven to come to earth, to be spat upon and made fun of, beaten and abused, nailed to a hunk of wood and hung there for nine hours, and he was an innocent person, and he did all that because you were not innocent. If it's the first time you've heard that, or maybe you've never really pondered that idea, maybe as a Christian you've never sat and meditated on the fact that the creator of the universe humbled himself to the point of death, that his creation was allowed to kill him. If you have never pondered that, you should. And here's the thing, if we ponder that, if we think about all Jesus Christ has done for us, and if our response to that is, God, do I have to do this? There's a deep problem with our hearts. There is a problem with us. It's funny, I was baptizing a young woman last night and after the sermon last night, she goes, man, she goes, Jesus has done all this for me and all I have to do is get into this water. It's that simple, right? We don't have to be nailed to a cross. Jesus did that for us. We don't have to live in shame and guilt and fear. Jesus took that. He took that. And he asks us to be obedient. He asks us to respond. So, Here's the thing, the questions, if we love Jesus Christ, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, if we understand at least a fraction of how much Jesus has done for us, our questions should never be focused on, do I have to do this? I hate that question. I hate it. Do you know why I hate the question of losing your salvation or not, eternal security? You know why I hate that? If my wife walked up to me every day and goes, can we get divorced? Is that even a possibility? I'm going to be like, why do you keep asking me this, right? If we keep, there's a problem if you keep asking me if we can get divorced. If you keep asking yourself if you could lose your salvation, there's probably a disconnect. If we are living for Jesus Christ, I don't care if I can lose my salvation or not. I'm living for Jesus Christ and I have security that I'm saved. I am living by the words of Christ. I'm not perfect, but I live in Christ. I don't have to worry about losing my salvation. I have a relationship with Jesus. So whenever we start asking, do I have to? Ugh, there's probably an issue there. But when we start to understand the grace and love of God, our questions are not, do I have to? Our questions look more like, can I do anything else to make you happy, God? What can I do to make you proud? How can I be more obedient? How can I be more set apart? How can I be closer to you? Listen, I guess I don't have to take my wife on dates, but I love her and I love being with her and I love being closer to her, so I wanna take her out on dates. Maybe I don't have to pray every single day, but I love Jesus and I know how much I need Jesus, so I wanna talk to Jesus. Do you have to get baptized, guys? I don't know, I don't care. But I know that if you love Jesus, I know that we're supposed to be obedient. And here's the other side, because I don't want to end on a negative guilt trip. I bet I have personally baptized a thousand plus people over the last nine years, and I have not baptized one person yet that has regretted that decision. It has changed their lives, not because that water is magical, not because there's anything special about me, 
But the Bible says that when we are obedient and we draw near to Jesus, it says that he draws near to us. And when God draws near to you, it will absolutely change your life. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Three things, guys, three things. The first one is this. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus and you don't even know where to begin, one of our elders, he's up here in the red shirt. His name is Muhammad. Up here in the red, he's on my right, your left. I'd like you to either find Muhammad or if you could find Dave or Phil up here to my right, any one of those three men. If you have any questions about what it means to be a Christian, if you have any questions about Jesus, if you don't even know where to begin, find one of those three men and they can help you, okay? If you are in this room and maybe you were baptized as an infant, maybe it wasn't your decision, I wanna encourage you, do this on your own free will. You make this decision. If you were in this room and, and you love Jesus but you have just not done this yet, I wanna encourage you, God will take you to a deeper level of intimacy with him he will honor you. He will change your life if you will just be obedient to what he's telling you to do. So I'm going to pray, and if you fall into one of those three camps, please, you can make your way up to my left, your right, and they'll get you taken care of. If you have any questions about faith, you can make your way up to my right, your left. And if you're in this room and, and, and you've done all those things, you're good. There is communion all the way around you and everyone is welcome to take communion, to remember Jesus Christ, his body and blood, and everyone can take that as long as you ask Christ to forgive you of your sins. Please don't forget how important that is. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. Lord, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for everyone in this room. God, if there's anyone in this room who, who needs to get baptized today, I pray, Lord, that you just touch their heart, that you encourage them, that you speak to them and, and that you give them the strength, Lord, to make this step. If there's anyone in this room who doesn't know who you are, they don't know where to begin, Lord, let them also come up here and start that journey. And God, if anyone in this room needs to take communion and just remember how good you are, Lord, I pray that you, you touch their hearts and that they have that moment of intimacy with you today as well. Father, we love you. We thank you. We lift you up. We pray blessings over everyone in this room. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.